The Thundermen have escaped the demons and have flown to safety on the backs of their equine friends. Time for a rest and a briefing from a new ally. Seems that a rescue is in order. Stealth mode engaged. The Unknown Forest is no longer safe. The fellas have been lied to. War is on the horizon. We listen to episode 18 of Taz Graduation so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. everyone and welcome back to talking taz your weekly journey through the worlds of the adventure zone graduation with you as always is me your host and producer pj and with me as always is my lovely co-host lauren hi lauren what'd you think of this episode i really liked this episode because it was a nice contrast to the intense episode that we had last week with Mm -hmm. the big fight and everything before we like deep dive into it i do the episode title is called field trip and it reminded me of something that happened to me when i was in like second or third grade so we were out on the playground and we had been told we were going to be going on a field trip in the next couple of days so i was with one of my friends and i was like where do you think we're gonna go on our field trip and they pointed out to an empty field by the playground and said we're gonna go over there and they're gonna make us trip As the like seven or eight year old that I was, I didn't understand what they meant. But looking back, I was like, oh, that's a solid joke. That's the funniest story I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm glad it brought you joy. I was like, where's she going with this? Oh, (laughs) it's dumb. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. Oh, man. I can't top that. We just got to start the episode. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (sighs) All right. The boys are exhausted and worn as they travel along the forest. The Fearbog on Snow on the Mountain, Argo is on Storm at Sea, while Fitzroy rides astride Breeze through the willows. They arrive near campus expecting something strange, but it's just as normal as ever. Before long, they descend into a clearing in the forest. Once they are in the clearing, all living creatures can speak to one another. Fitzroy wonders if the others they left behind are dead, though he does reconcile that the demon's murder boners were mainly directed at the three of them, maybe even specifically just himself. Yeah, they were very much targeting Fitzroy. But I think it's just because he was the only one that they couldn't get out, So, and he was the one that was being antagonistic about it, you know? That's true. Yeah, he was the only one not charmed. It was a charm, right? Yeah, it was basically a charm. Okay. Breeze lets him know that others were sent to retrieve those left behind, Breeze also lets him know that there are healing potions, then says it's nice to see the Fearbulg again. Which I loved. I love their little relationship. That was perfect. He says they have grown so swiftly, and they lament that it is due to necessity, unfortunately. Fitzroy compliments Breeze on the ride, as he thought it would hurt his underpants area, but it was smooth. (laughs) Breeze misunderstands and congratulates Fitzroy on his smooth underpants area before being corrected. (laughs) Can I just say, Fitzroy seems like a guy that keeps it trim tip top shape down there oh yeah no he definitely manscapes down there like i don't think it's for anyone other than himself either like i don't think he's like well i do it for like you know the lovers i think he's just like yeah i like being neat i like being clean and proper <laughs> yeah no i think it is most definitely a standard that he holds for himself yeah yeah breeze lets fitzroy know the guardian keeps the forest protected from the demons so they should be safe here argo asks how they knew to save them and they say the guardian on higglemas's behest sent for them At least Higglemas is trying. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We'll get into that. No, I know it's like, there's a lot to unpack, but (laughs) at least there's like this little kernel of- A little bit, yeah. Yeah. They had assumed the Guardian was more of a metaphorical thing. Uh, That was a phenomenal Uh, joke from Griffin that he just is like, never mind, that didn't work, but I loved it. 
Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty solid. But Breeze clarifies the Guardian has protected the forest from man for a long time. The Fear Bulk says men are the worst, and I agree, and so does the Guardian. Yeah, no, men are the worst. And I mean that, like, in all aspects, like, man, man as in, like, the human race. Human, yes. And then also just men as in, like, men. You mean it, and so you mean it in both. Yes. Justin forgot to ready dice because he thought this was just going to be a chill horse sesh, but it is, in <laughs> fact, Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I know this isn't Mabim Bam, so we're not going to get into the whole, like, horse thing that they get into there. Do you think Justin would be a horse girl? Uh, no, no. no. I mean, if anyone would have been a horse girl... In their youth, it would have been Travis. I 100% agree. Yeah, it's yeah. Travis, no doubt. Travis is the horse girl. We learned that the voice from episode one was actually the Guardian, which is a really neat little tieback. Yeah. Because I have always kind of wondered, like, who was that voice? Right? Did we forget about this voice? Did Travis just plan to see it and forget about it? But no, here it is. Here it is. Yeah, I 100% thought that was just like a loose end that was never going to be tied up. But here it mm-hmm. is. The Guardian keeps itself hidden as its appearance is unsettling, though Fitz says they won't judge. They take all kinds here. <laughs> all kinds here. The Guardian says he was hunted for his appearance, and Justin assumes he looks like a giant gummy bear. <laughs> <laughs> Which I get things. it. If you looked like a giant gummy bear, you probably would be hunted for your appearance because people would be like, um, nom, 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 nom. Yeah, no, that's true. Gummy bears are delicious. Fitzroy wants to get a jump on everything, but the Guardian lets him know that Higglemiss and Hero have been taken captive. Ah! Fitz is confused because why take them captive and also how with all of those wards Mm. were they taken in the first place which I mean by the end of this episode we get an answer to the first question but definitely not the second one yeah no that is the question I had I was like I thought that's why Higglemas wasn't leaving his room because it was warded against Grey specifically which like jumping ahead but obviously now we know his name is Grey Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Althea is dropped off by Thought of the Spring which can I just say I'm loving all of these Pegasus names yes I am so impressed with how Travis came up with all of these because they're yeah. all beautiful. Yeah, because the other one is uh, Night of No Clouds too. Like so Ugh. good, all of these. Ugh. So they let us know that Night of No Springs has taken Moon to a healer, which we later learn is they're dropping them off at the infirmary at the school. Oh, I hope Moon's okay. Mm-hmm. Fitzroy looks to Althea for guidance, but she says things have only grown more complicated. And Clint asks if he can make a check. Justin lets him know he can do anything he wants because the only limit is his imagination. <laughs> Which, you know, I've, uh, I always say that's like the main thing you got to teach your D&D players, that the sky's the limit. Yeah, you taught us that where you were like, tell me what you want to do and then I will tell you what you need to roll to get mm-hmm. there. So I think we've be- I don't I can't speak to all of us because I'm not the DM. But do you think we've gotten better over time? Yeah, of course. Good. To the extent that sometimes I'm like, please just let me tell my story. <laughs> please stop looking for things (laughs) Uh, it's not even that but sometimes it's like what you're trying to solve is inconsequential Mm. like so like a peek behind the curtain from like our last session around the time of recording this you guys fell into a pit and you were trying to everyone was trying to look for ways to get out of the pit yeah and i'm like you being in the pit means nothing at all it's just a device for this encounter it's gonna happen whether you're in the pit or not so like don't worry about the pit (laughs) yeah 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 I mean, as soon as enemies appeared, I was like, clearly I need to fight them off and then I can get out of the pit. So I'm going to switch my goals here. I further peeked behind the curtain. The only reason you guys had that encounter wasn't because like the pit has an encounter. I've just made it a point to add more and more encounters in from the random encounter table whenever I get a chance because I've made all of you too overpowered. (laughs) Are we really? And so I need to humble you guys once in a while. By throwing us into situations 
that seem well, impossible. Well, because, I mean, when you realistically look at the way the dungeons work, they do say, like, every hour they're in this dungeon, they should be rolling on the random encounter table. Oh, wow. Well, like, they have to roll a d6, and if it rolls, you know, like, a one, then they have to roll a random encounter. Like, it's, some, it's something like that. And I've never done that because I'm like, oh, God, it's such a slog. Uh, mm-hmm. If you just have fight after fight. So I just try to to find a balance there. It's like, well, I do want to add random encounters because you guys are overpowered. And I do need you guys to have some spell slots gone when you fight a big bad. I do need you guys to have some stakes in yeah. this game. But I don't want to do it every other second. So it's like, oh, you fell in a pit? Guess what? There's an encounter there. Oh, you guys went to sleep in the middle of this dungeon? All right. Well, we're going to roll an encounter check for every two hours you're asleep. <laughs> yeah. I I mean... As a player, I think you balance it out very well. I didn't realize we were so overpowered. Uh, yeah, I mean, you have I to mean, remember, your biggest damage dealer is two levels above all of you. That's so that's true. quite OP. Yeah, she's And two of strong. your players have pulled ultimate weapons. That's true. So you guys are pretty overpowered. As a group, yes, absolutely we are. Yeah. Argo asks if you're both if he vouches for the Guardian, if they are truthful, not if they party. Oh, I want to uh, know if they party. <laughs> I wonder if Festo gets down with them. <laughs> I do like uh, when they are talking about, like, do they party? It's like Festo twitches somewhere being like, party? Party? <laughs> love us so Fearbulk says he has trusted too much this year and will wait to see if he can be trusted that's fair it is very fair argo asks storm at sea for clarification which clint says is so he can hear a new character voice travis takes that and runs with it by giving us the most unique character voice maybe ever <laughs> yes <laughs> uh but quickly transitions into a normal voice i was such a fan of the troll voice. i was though. ready for it i was <laughs> I so ready for it <laughs> Storm is actually very upset at the question, and he feels that Argo has no right to question the Guardian, and he keeps getting more and more riled up, and he's just getting upset, which I love this from Travis, because I think a lot of times DMs fall into the trap of like, oh, you're asking a question of a character, so I'll answer that question as that character, as opposed to being like, what would this character actually respond with? Mm-hmm. Which you've seen me do in our campaign with Durnin. Yes. A lot. Because a lot. Durnin has a very specific personality in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's become very combative with one of the players many times based on certain lines of questioning. Very much like this, like as Travis was doing this, I was like, this is a conversation between Durden and Knox 100%. 100%. And I feel like you also had this in our very first campaign that you ran with Beverlanis. Mm-hmm. Beverlanis and Geronimo. This is a Beverlanis and Geronimo conversation too. Yes, where they just they just butt heads and they don't see eye to eye. And because it- a lot of times it's just the players get to have these steadfast personalities mm-hmm. and the DM kind of just has a lot of characters that don't really exist other than to give out information. Mm-hmm. And I try to make it a point to be like, no, they can also have steadfast personalities and be angry at you for saying things. Yes, I really like it makes it feel so much more real because not everyone gets along with everybody yeah if life was like how some people run dnd it'd be a lot easier so much easier storm steps away and is comforted by breeze breeze apologizes for storm saying that it's been difficult for them ever since the majority of their herd was called by the demons Ugh. The Guardian's magic is supposed to make the unknown forest difficult to navigate and perceive but the demons seem to be immune to this effect yikes Fitzroy asks the Guardian where Higglemus is, and he reveals he is being held captive in his office. Ugh. They plan to sneak in and ask if one of the Pegasi can assist them, but the Guardian feels it would be best if they went it alone. 
-hmm. does, however, offer his guidance from years of going undetected and gives them advantage on stealth checks. That's so cool. I'm into it. Yeah, I love that. Just then, Fitzroy feels a ping from the notebook of Far Speech and receives a note from Rainier, asking if they are okay because they were in the infirmary when Moon was brought in and he explained the situation. Fitzroy wants confirmation that this is in fact Rainier before he gives up his loke. (laughs) And Rainier responds by saying he is obsessed with crepes and afraid of the raccoon skeleton. He says literally everyone knows that. Yeah. Literally everyone. He's very vocal about that. Very vocal. (laughs) Yeah. And that they'll have to do better, to which she simply responds, hot mint. How does she know about hot mint? How does she? Well, you know what? They're really close with Rainier and a lot of stuff happens off screen. Yeah. And like you said, they're very close. They clearly spend a lot of time together. Yeah. Just because we didn't hear it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. No, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He explains the situation, now trusting Rainier, uh, and asks her to cause a distraction, which she excitedly agrees to, and even dots her exclamation point with a little heart. I mean, I I think that's adorable of Rainier. Fitzroy clarifies for it to not be a spooky distraction, but she responds, it is too late. (laughs) Even though the fear bulk does implore Fitz to ensure it is nothing spooky. Both of them were like, please not spooky, please not spooky. (laughs) But that's not who Rainier is. No, it's, what is it, what else is she going to do other than beset the the ca- campus with skeletons? Exactly. They pass by Groundsy's hut on the way, uh, light bleeding out from it. And I was like, one day we're going to learn what's in that hut. And one it's going to be murdered children. Or just Jermaine working on their novel. It's going to be something wrong. <laughs> or something wrong and spooky and dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As they approach the school, they see patrols of double dogs in single units around the school. Griffin says that even if they're devil dogs, they're still sweet puppers with beautiful little toe beans, so he doesn't want to engage them in combat. I understand that completely. There's been times where we've had to go up against hellhounds, and I'm like, oh, but puppies. But you know, hellhounds are actually kind of dog-like. Devil dogs are, like, monstrous-looking things, which Travis does make very clear with his description. Yeah, that's true. Clint does mention that devil dogs are also a hostess treat, and they all agree they'd kill for one at the moment, which I'll actually say I've never had a devil dog. I haven't either. What's your favorite hostess treat? I really like the Christmas tree cupcakes. Not cupcakes. Oh, those are pretty good. Yeah, those are my favorites. I like their coffee cakes. I haven't tried their coffee cakes. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. I'm going to have to get combos to try, and then we're going to have to follow up with devil dogs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What a great meal. uh, Writing a list of uh, all the foods we need to try that they reference offhandedly in this podcast. (laughs) And then one day we'll just go ham and have it for a meal. We'll do like a Twitch stream mukbang for our followers. (laughs) I'm here for it. They all roll above 20 on their stealth, though, Griffin even rolling a nat 20 as they choose to sneak past the dogs. Yay! Clint jokes about playing sneaking music, but Justin says that's too silly, and he likes his D&D like he likes his men, serious and full of dogs, satanic dogs specifically. <laughs> Which, let's I... talk about what he means by that. Okay, let's what do you, When you hear him say, serious and full of dogs, what's the mental image you have in your head? I have Hades with his dog, the three-headed dog. Cerberus? Cerberus, thank you. Yeah, which is actually Greek for spot. That's exactly... So he named his dog Spot, ultimately. Lame. But that's... Exa- shut up. That's exactly what I picture is just this dark brooding man on a throne with a three-headed dog, just this monstrosity. But see, he said full of dogs. What did you picture then? I imagined four dogs in a trench coat. With a man with like a hat on. 
because they're full of dogs. But I will say Travis <laughs> had a another vision, which was like a Meet Dave situation, which is like that there's like a bunch of microscopic dogs piloting a man suit. <laughs> That's not what I pictured, but that's what I'm picturing now. <laughs> oh, God. That is something I can see Travis into. A dark, brooding, serious man I could not see Travis like being into. They go past the next patrol and Fitzroy nearly fails before a skeletal fox distracts the double dogs and gets chased away, allowing them to pass safely. Come on, Rainier. Before they move forward, Fearbog apologizes and casts Pass Without Trace, which would have been very helpful in the last segment. I 100% feel this (laughs) like deep in my soul because halfway through almost an encounter, I was like, oh no, I have Pass Without Trace. The biggest encounter of the dungeon with like several high CR enemies where your guys' initial plan was to essentially sneak past them. Once everyone is fully engaged, we're like, oh yeah, I have Pass Without Trace. Let's not talk about my inability to remember what I have and to misuse the powerful things that I have because that's that happens a lot. My favorite thing about giving you guys weapons with cool abilities is watching you guys completely forget to use those cool abilities. Or to, in my case, misuse them. That's or true. sometimes it does both. Happen. I do that. I do both a lot. I mean, everyone does. Honestly, I know what every one of you can do. And there are so many times where I'm sitting at the table like, what is happening right now? What is this choice for you? Listen, as far as like D&D goes, to me, you are like God level D&D. Oh, God. Uh, Audience, uh, strike that from the record. (laughs) No, I want everyone to know this. PJ is so good at understanding the mechanics of D&D, but also staying in character and knowing exactly how to combine all of these cool traits and spells and and characteristics to essentially like break the game or to just do some really, really, really cool things. I do not have that power. So I'm always in awe when I get to play with PJ as a player because he just is like jaw dropping what this game could be if you really understand the mechanics of it like PJ does. <laughs> uh, I just have nothing better to do than learn all of it. <laughs> <laughs> or you just have a really good sponge brain. I'm uncomfortable, so I'm going to go back to the episode. (laughs) Hello, everyone. It's me, PJ, your pen pal. Here's always to thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast and wondering why you haven't sent me a letter recently. We hope you're enjoying this episode. We learned so much this episode, and I got to yell about a lot of things this episode. Honestly, who could ask for more? Hear me yell about even more things by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Facebook by searching for at TalkinTaz. There you can also find the official TalkinTaz group where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at TalkinTaz or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. Notes from this episode. In this episode, Lauren compliments me and I just want to take some time to correct her statements and ensure you all of what you may already have known, which is she is wrong and I am simply just a worm. No other major notes from this episode, though. Last week, we left you with a question about impossible-to-win scenarios, and luckily not many of you have faced them. This week, let's talk about the choice Higglemas makes this episode, or at least the one we learn he made this episode. Lorna and I debate this, but if presented with the options laid out before Higglemas, would you have fled or stayed to fight? I'm curious. Let us know. Now... Back to the podcast.
Fitzroy approaches the Gary outside of Higgomas' office, with his body language begging him to keep quiet and be cool. We learn this is the sunglasses and hat Gary from episode 11. It's cool Gary! Which they dubbed cool Gary. Yeah. We had previously called him Justin McElroy Gary, but like, what's the difference? Ooh, Justin McElroy Gary is cool Gary. Heck yeah. Oh, into it. They implore him to be his coolest yet and keep their presence a secret. He says he'd normally not do that, but for Fearbulk, he will. <laughs> cool Gary for the win. Heck yeah, super cool. Fearbulk says he is forever in his debt for not asking why, and Gary says you trust your friends, which are wise words from cool Gary. That sounds like a Saturday morning like cartoon segment. Yeah, if that's a Saturday morning cartoon segment, we do learn that he is also the bad guy of the Saturday morning cartoon segment, because we do confirm that cool Gary is definitely cool, and he's definitely carrying stone drugs to get stoned. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> They enter and Fitzroy sends Snippers up the stairs and comes to an empty hallway. Snippers does see sigils in black ink throughout the hall, which to Fitzroy are obviously magical tripwires. Snippers could easily traverse the tripwires, however, someone has clearly blocked the bottom of the door at the end, effectively making a Snippers prevention device, which makes Griffin so upset. (laughs) So, so mad. But then Travis is like, answer me this. Have you done this before with Snippers? And he has. Which doesn't make him less mad. He's like, no. you know what? No. He's going to go up there and he's going to try to pry that thing off because he's a strong little crab. <laughs> I love the, was it the eventual merchandise that they set oh, up Oh, so they, yeah, they pitch a shirt that has Snippers and in a circle around him, the text, you will not clock this crab, which is a <laughs> shirt they sell, by the way. <gasps> what? Yeah, it's totally actual official McElroy merch. They were not joking. Oh my God, you will not clock this crab. Now this is like all I've ever needed in my entire (laughs) life. I will say, and it's not a jab because I do love the shirt. I wish the Snippers design on it was just a tad bit cuter because I imagine Snippers so cute. I imagine him a adorable is he just like a normal looking crab he's just like a blue crab i mean crabs aren't inherently cute yeah i just imagine him with a little cuter eyes than i guess they gave him i don't know yeah but it's not bad for sure i still need it yes <laughs> fitzroy gives up and dismisses snippers calling him weak which made me a little sad oh, yeah, uh, and saying he is very cross but to not ask him why <laughs> which is such peak like social media energy in a weird way oh like the vague booking and all of that oh, kind God. of stuff you know what's the worst thing about fake booking tell me is like looking back on it years later do you know how many times god i hate teenage pj because he was such a vague booker he was and i look back on like my facebook memories and it'll just be like something like really sad today not obviously that but like something in that vein and i'm like what were you feeling you loser (laughs) i don't know what the context of this was you had emotions as a teenager they nothing stuck And it happens all the time where it's like this memory from like eight or nine years ago because I've been on Facebook forever and it'll be like this random status that is clearly vague booking to death and have no context because in the comments I don't answer any questions. Hell, even not emotional stuff. Sometimes I would just be like, wow, this movie I saw was truly terrible. And honestly, I hated every minute of it. But then I never say what the movie was. And I'm like, (gasps) what movie was it? Oh, that is so frustrating. Come on, Uh, Teenage PJ. Yeah. If any of you are vague bookers right now, cut that out of your life ASAP. Listen, just tell someone how you're feeling. You don't need to fish for it. Just like, hey, listen, I'm having a rough day. I want to tell you about it. It's okay. Your emotions are valid. Just don't keep them a secret from the world. Either make them known or don't. That's it. Yeah. Make a decision. Stick to it. Don't half tell. Yes. That has been your daily PSA from Talking Test. <laughs> <laughs> that was from Cool Gary. Saturdays with Cool Gary. <laughs> 
Argo Zeta Jones is his way through the wires, which is, <laughs> did you understand that reference? I did. I have not seen the movie, but I've seen that scene. Yeah, it's from Entrapment. It's, yes. It's not the best movie in the world, but like that scene did a lot for teenage boys when it came out. <laughs> And probably a lot of teenage girls. Oh, for sure. I just can't speak to their experience. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Do you think that's what P- Teenage PJ Vague booked about? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't think I ever mentioned it once. <laughs> Though he clarifies it's more like Vincent Cassell's Laser Dance from Ocean's 12. I have also seen that, but I couldn't picture the scene as clearly as I could Zeta Jones. I actually really like Vincent Cassell's because it is like a straight up like laser dance. Like, he puts on a song and dances through it as he goes through the lasers. Versus, like, Zeta Jones and Entrapment is just there to be horny. Mm. Like, it's literally, like, her, like, sultrily, like, you know, arching her back under wires and stuff. Like, it's it's sure. just there to be thirsty. Versus, like, Vincent Cassell's is, like, fun as hell. Then that holds up more for the Adventure Zone than a sexy sexual Argo mm-hmm. <laughs> going through well, the wires. Well, let's talk about a sexy sexual Argo. No! Because he does ask for some stealthy music as he goes, and Justin improvs the wildest song in the world. <laughs> he does! Which includes lyrics such as calling him a sexual powerhouse, saying he has an amazing body, and <laughs> hoping his big old dingle dangle doesn't fall out of his pants and set off the wires. <laughs> And in case you thought the song was about Argo, he does sing the lyrics, my sexual dad with a sexual body. Yep. So it's... It does turn back to Argo, though, as he clarifies that Argo is half genie and three-fourths super lover. Um, <laughs> That's not how fractions work. He does say, he does say that makes him one and a quarter something, like one and a quarter like sexual or something like that. But... To kick it back to Clint, the song does end with a loud, my sexual dad. (laughs) So who knows? I don't know who the song was about. I don't understand. I was laughing very hard when I listened to it. But then I'm also like thinking about it now. It makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Because like, Justin, what are you saying? It's so good. I love it. About your father. The song definitely helps as Argo makes it through, smudges the runes, and they arrive at the door. Argo peers through the keyhole and sees three figures in the room. Fearbulk says they have hesitated for long enough and opens the door. Oh my god. Oh my god. When they enter, torches flicker on dramatically, and staring at them is Foronimus, though clearly showing his demon prince side. <sighs> he has slate gray skin, sharp teeth, and horns, and smiles at them as he pets Hero, which made me... Hella uncomfy. Oh, yeah, no, I was big mad. He excitedly greets them, saying he had sent escorts for them before Fitzroy throws a firebolt at him. (laughs) Oh, God. It burns his lapel, and he says he is disappointed in Fitzroy. He thought he was more of a gentleman than that. As he is talking, Fitzroy exclaims to stab him. (laughs) (laughs) Which I get. (laughs) Boronimus interrupts him to say he understands the rush, and if he wants, they can go for it, but that probably would be bad for the students whose dorms are surrounded by demons sent to attack if they engage in combat. Oh my god. Fitzroy stands down as he can tell this isn't a bluff. He says he'll get down to brass tacks and explains that he's been waiting for Hieronymus to recover so they can get back to their struggle between good and evil, and he's tired of waiting. Fitzroy says Demon Prince is a stupid title and asks if he has a name, which he learns is Grey. Or at least that's what he goes by. I will say he's probably based off of Grast. 
Yeah, you you know a lot about D&D hell. It's D&D the Abyss, because demons are from the Abyss. Oh, that's right. And Grast is uh, known as the Demon Prince, though he is not the Demon Prince. It's a complicated thing. There is a Demon Prince in the Demon Hierarchy. Grast wants to be the ruler of all demons, and he has horns that almost look like a crown, so he calls himself the Demon Prince, and almost as many people follow him. It's a whole thing. And you've based someone off of him, right? Yes, I also based a character off of Grast in one of our campaigns. Because yeah. Grast, though being a demon and a demon lord, the whole nine yards, is insatiably attractive. Yeah. And he knows it. And that's like part of his little shtick mm-hmm. is he corrupts women and men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, through that. He is one of the most famous demon lords. And his name is Grast, which, you know, is pretty close to Grey. That's where my brain is like, I think he based him off of the same person I did. Because around the same time as this, so not concurrently, mm-hmm. I made a character based off Grass and I named him Grayson as you his did. nickname. Yes, you named him Grayson. So me and Travis had parallel thinking. It's like how like some like major invention is like usually done by two people at the same time in like different parts of the world. Yeah. I mean, you guys were on opposite ends of the country, so right? Doesn't Travis? That's true. No, I think Travis is actually LA. Oh, that's right. He does live in California. Yeah. So you guys were on the same. We were side different of the parts of SoCal. <laughs> That's true. Fitzroy says he may mess up and call him Greg, which he says is fine. He explains the reason he stayed as Phoronimus for so long was because he was sure his attempt to kill the real one had failed, but he had no proof. He infiltrated the school to find out more, but Higglemiss hid away like a coward. However, the longer he was at the school, he realized it gave him a chance to have a direct hand in all of the most influential up-and-comers in society. Oh my god. He was trying to sow chaos, but it was achingly slow, which isn't abnormal, but this one was just so much work. Oh, man. Fitzroy says maybe he should just become an administrator because he's done a great job so far with the school. Uh, And Gray responds that he knows he's good at it. He ran several layers of the abyss, but he misses the blood and the viscera. Gross. Gross. (laughs) He eventually realized Hieronymus had become hero once the ingredients started to get collected. Argo points out that if they both want Hero turned back into Hieronymus, they have the same goal. This is when Grey reveals that Higglemus changed the plan, and the apple wasn't necessary for the transformation formula, which makes Fitzroy angrily exclaim that that makes him very upset, which I get. Yeah, no, I totally get that. The apple was necessary because since it was Grey's magic, it could be used to hide from him. Higglemus had planned to turn his brother back and run, robbing Grey of his war. And also, in essence, leaving the boys to deal with all this by themselves, which would have been high-key messed up. That would have been high-key messed up, for sure. Like, I was very sad to learn that Higglemus had no plan to stay and help at all. But at the same time, if you put yourself in Higglemus's shoes and the person you love most in the whole world is like the target of this very powerful being, would I have done the same thing? I don't know. I just think it's underhanded. Like, I think if he had told them, like, we need this so that we can turn him back and get away from him forever, I think they would have still been willing to help. That's true, especially the fear bulk. Yeah, I think they would have understood the it's, like severity of it. Yeah, it's just the the lying. That's the mm-hmm. bad thing. Yeah, for sure. Fearbulg asks Grey why he needs war, to which he retorts, why does the Fearbulg need air or food? And he's like, oh, I get it. It's rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> Fitzroy says he has no interest in helping the Wigan staffs escape and hands Grey the other apple and asks when they can regroup for said war. Maybe Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> Are you free Saturday? Want to fight that? He says they're not really an army, even with Snippers, Tiny Gary, and the Pegasi. I don't know. That sounds like a pretty cool army to me. (laughs) Especially Tiny Gary. Especially Tiny Gary. 
He has had 50 years to prepare, so he will give them six months to make it fair. Fitz points out that 50 years would be fair, and he says he could just kill them now, to which Argo and the Fearbulk say six months sounds more than reasonable. But I was like, no, he's just bluffing, because then he's back to no war. What do you mean he's back to no war? Because he was like, well, I could just kill you now, and no, he couldn't, because the whole point is he wants a war. He does want a war, but he doesn't necessarily want a war with the Thundermen. He's specifically going for Hieronymus and Higglemus. No, he just wants a war. That's all he wants. That's true, but he doesn't necessarily need to have a war with the Thundermen. He could find a war somewhere else. Yeah, but who else is going to fight him in a war? Hieronymus and Higglemus. He has them trapped. Clearly, they don't want to fight a war. They were going to run away. Yes, but now he has them trapped and he's going to force them. But Higglemus probably wouldn't. Trapping someone doesn't make them for... You can't force someone to go to war with That's true. You don't think... You can't kidnap someone and be like, go to war with me, you know? That's true. So if you were a player I think in this situation, just bluffing. you would have called him on it? I would have called him on it. Like, let's say I was a DM. I would have still made that threat. And if someone had called me on it, I would have been like, you're right. But that doesn't mean I can't still hurt you. Like, I would have probably gone somewhere in that route. Sure, sure. Fitzroy asks if the firebolt even hurt. And he says it hurt his feelings. <laughs> he says not to be a jerk. He knows uh, it at least burned up his lapel and he quickly repairs it. Ugh. The Fearbulk suggests waging a war of feelings and says that Gray's ass looks chunky in his jeans. <laughs> he quickly dismisses this, saying they both know that's not true and they all admit his ass looks fantastic. So then he is a very, very attractive demon. I prince. would imagine so. Again, probably based off Grast, who mm-hmm. is sexy. Yeah. Gray tells Fitzroy that their mutual benefactor. Oh my God. Wants him to keep an eye on him. Oh, and God. I was like, oh, so Gray's also on this chaos train, baby. Baby. But yeah, that was a shocking revelation. Oh, yeah. No, I was shook. But because of that, chaos wants him to keep an eye on him. So he is not allowed to leave campus. Fitzroy says he's an adult and he'll do what he wants. <laughs> well, he specifically says a grown-up, which feels so much more immature than saying you're an adult. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. When you say I'm a grown-up, you're not a grown-up. <laughs> uh, and Grace says that for every day he's gone without permission, he will kill 10 random students. Yikes. Fitzroy asks if he has any other helpful info on how to defeat him, because knowing he also draws from chaos was pretty helpful. Yeah, that was, that was a nice bone to throw. Yeah. He clarifies um, he's going to win the war, and Fitzroy mocks him. He's like, oh, I'm going to win the war, before saying that the point is to still make it a challenge. Argo says they almost defeated the Pit Fiend, but Grey kind of ignores him and stands to his full 12 feet height. Oh my god. Which is three feet taller than Grass, by the way. Grass is a nine foot tall demon lord. Uh, and demands to not be disrespected, because that was disrespectful. He's like, don't you speak to me that way. I'm being courteous to you, but I do not need to be. It's true. He says if Fitzroy mocks him again, he will kill his friends. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Travis gets so into character that he peeks his microphone when he says that. Does he really? Yeah, if you listen to it, it gets super jaded. It gets super craggly, which means he peeked his microphone. Oh, wow. Is when you get too loud, I mean, you could see it right now as you're recording, you have like the waves on your recording. Yeah. When those waves get too big, that's when you get that thing where it sounds like super like crispy and mm. like distorted. And okay. the reason that is, is because the audio that goes above disappears essentially, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that audio is incomplete. That's why, that's why it peaks. Oh. Um, I mean, some audio engineering facts for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you can hear him clearly peek when he's like, I will kill your friend. He was in the moment. They all apologize and Fitzroy says he should have left the communications to his CCO Argo and he thought they were just having like a fun nemesis back and forth. <laughs> 
Gray cuts him off, hands him a vial to cure Hero and Higglemas, and disappears, but not before clarifying he will still be around. Oh, God. Higglemas has clearly been beaten, and Fitzroy says that before taking him to the infirmary, he would just like to say, told you so, called it, and that you are a major league fibber. Yeah, it's true. This doesn't seem to phase Higglemas, though, who just takes the vial, pours half in his mouth and half in Hero's. Immediately, Higglemas looks younger. As we've noted before, the reason he looks so old is because of the curse. Mm Mm-hmm that harmed them both Mm -hmm. and also hero is back to being hieronymus he's back so he has an empty expression on his face Mm. higglemas weeps as he holds his brother for the first time in 50 years hieronymus does not react at first before his vision clears and he hugs his brother back and goes unconscious I was crying. It was a very emotional moment. I was still like, I'm a little mad at you, but like, this is an emotional moment. Yeah. I mean, I understand. He lied to them. He wasn't honest. He wasn't truthful. But ugh, this scene hit deep. God, the emotional and mental trauma of being a dog for 50 years, though, is probably really, really rough. Oh, yeah. That wasn't intentional, but damn. (laughs) It's just built into your system. You can't help it. But yes, so it is. It, I can see why he has like the blank expression and why it totally takes a toll on him mm-hmm. to be back. Oh, 100%. That was a pretty beefy one. It was, even though there wasn't like last episode, there was so much fighting and yeah. anxiety. Whereas this one, even though it was slower compared to that, like so much happened and we got yeah. so much information, like the whole chaos tie between Gray and Fitzroy. We learned who Gray was. We met him officially. So it was intense. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm excited to see what we have in store next week. Yeah. Excited to see them start prepping for a war. A war. Six months to prep for a war. Six That's months. not a lot of time. No, it's not. But we'll see how they do that as we continue on. But that's all we've got for you guys this week. We hope you had a good time listening. But until next time, I've been PJ. I've been Lauren. And we'll see you next week when we are once again talking Taz. Uh-huh.